happened to people. I was in Chicago yesterday. I went to Milwaukee. I caught the Amtrak out of Milwaukee and rode to Chicago right downtown. I spent all day long in the World Trade Center in Chicago yesterday. We got a little connection with a brother in the church in Oak Creek. He went down with us. He has a a card for the World Trade Center where you can buy directly from most American factories. Cutting out the wholesalers or the middleman. That's the largest building in the world. It's 20 stories high and it's about three blocks square. It's a huge, huge building. It's just unbelievable the size, the square footage in it. I heard, but I've already forgotten. But uh, you cannot cover it. No way you can cover it in a day. And I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked. And of course the purpose was so that we could buy things directly for our district. So that we don't, and buy them directly from the factories. And it, it's just an enormous building. I saw so many people, so many different faces. Then coming back this afternoon from Milwaukee, about 15 miles out of uh, Lake Mills, I spotted a, a dark cloud in, right down the center of the freeway. And I noticed coming out of that cloud was a funnel cloud right on the bottom of it. And I watched that cloud for about 15 minutes. And this funnel cloud, which is a tornado, was real small. It got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the, it would come down further, about halfway from uh, the bottom of the cloud to the earth. And then it would go back up and it would twist from side to side. It was coming right at me. and uh, But it was a long ways away. And I thought then, you know, it, it's something how that that just maybe one little circumstance can change your whole life. It really is something. Then the cloud began to pass over to the left, thank the Lord. And <laughs> this cloud was getting further down and further down and it'd go back up. And, and in front of it was a, a big uh, sheet of rain. You could see the rain just pouring down in front of it. I watched it for a long time. It never got real large. It never got real large. But you could see the velocity of the wind. Uh, without seeing much of the cloud in, involved in it, all of a sudden you could just see the gray of the sky, but just kind of light gray. And you could see it just kind of needle down like you'd pull string off of a roll. And then all of a sudden it just sucked the cloud down in it. The darkness of the cloud just, just sucked right down the bottom of it. It twists from side to side, and it kind of go back up in the, the big cloud. I stopped at a service station because I was low on diesel. And uh, I asked the elder lady there, I said, how are you doing today? And she said, fine. She said, somebody just stopped, and they said they saw a, a funnel cloud. She said, I called the radio station here, and they said, no, it was just a couple of rain clouds together. But it, were, it was a funnel cloud. There's no doubt about it. I watched it for, I'd say, a good 15 miles. When I first spotted it, it was just just a little dark spot coming down out of a cloud. I don't know about you, but I've got a... <laughs> I, I've got... Uh, there's something about the clouds that, that uh, kind of disturb me at the same time they get my mind going. Uh, I used to take and, and draw the clouds, and then I would draw figures in them. 
I did this, you know, when I was in high school. I just enjoyed doing it. And even now, I still make out things. I've seen some of you in the clouds. <laughs> I really have. And, and uh, I saw a man praying up there this afternoon. I was just watching the clouds when I saw this. I keep one eye on the road. I'm a bad one to drive and just kind of, you know, turn around and talk. And there's nobody in the car. But at any rate, I wasn't turning today to talk, but I do that a lot. But uh, when I'm alone, I don't listen to many tapes. And I don't listen to much music, except maybe the radio station for the news. But uh, I just do a lot of thinking. And I was just thinking about, you know, how that so many things could, could just change you know, somebody hadn't a witness to you. I don't know what you'd be doing. Somebody came by, talked to you about Jesus. You ever thought of that? I'm sure you have. I thought of, uh, you know, what if I what if I never moved to Wisconsin? I wonder what it would be like. I mean, what would I be doing right now? See. Well. It is as it is. I praise God. Somebody talked to me. Somebody witnessed to me. Somebody changed my life. Praise God. And you're involved not just in changing the history. And that's that's something. Brother O'Neill spoke of that. But you can change eternity for somebody. That's how important it is. You can change eternity for somebody. Uh I did not have Brother Moran to set up the bright lights tonight. But I want to teach the final lesson on giving to the work of the Lord for the benefit of those who are here because I do not plan on teaching downstairs Sunday. But I'd like for you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus, the 20th chapter uh, pardon me, Leviticus, the 19th chapter, and we're just going to start there. But I, the reason why I didn't have him set it up, because I'm going to teach this a little different on the video later. The reason why, however, I feel that I need to teach it is because we taught two lessons upstairs, because we had so many people that were asking us if we would teach the one on tithing, the one on giving to the family of God, and the one on giving to the work of God. For the entire congregation, because we had many people who had heard this some time ago, but just felt that they needed some reassurance. You know, Calvary Gospel Church is full of people who love God. I really believe that. I'm convinced of that. Now, all of us have struggles, and I use the word us. Uh... My mind has been so preoccupied lately by so many things. I hear things that I don't hear. You know, people say, you, you understand? I said, yes, and they more turn around and walk away, and I wonder what they even said. Now, if you see me preoccupied like that, it's all right for you to wave your hand in front of me and say, are you in there, Brother Grant? Because <clears throat> sometimes I'm not in here. You know, I'm off out there someplace. But... Uh, I felt that Brother Merrick did such an outstanding job at our family camp. Outside of our own district, I preached in the Minnesota district more than any other district. And outside of this church, 
I preached in Brother Merrick's church more than any other church. So I know this man real well. And I know that what he preached there is something that he really feels, really believes. I taught Christian stewardship there. And of course, you know that in two weeks I go to teach the morning session of the morning and afternoon session. They have an afternoon service, an hour service there in the afternoon. And they've asked me if I'll teach Christian stewardship there. And that I plan on doing. But I felt that Brother Merrick taught something there the last few days that uh, was very comforting to me. And the reason why is because I've taught Christian stewardship in quite a few churches outside of our own. And there's an area of it in which I have not found anybody yet that can refute what I say. But I haven't found too many people to get super excited about it. And that's the area that I plan on speaking to you from uh, tonight. Now, God had a plan throughout the scripture in which he could take his people and show his divine nature, his divine love. Now, we're not using transparencies tonight. And the reason why we're not using transparencies is because I just felt that I might just want to deviate and maybe not even finish it all tonight. And what you heard Brother Merrick teach up at camp, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cover that ground again. I just teach it like I always teach it, except there's a couple of little areas in which I feel that, that we personally need to get into and take a good square look at. See, God had the people of Israel... And he had them for a purpose. According to the book of Jeremiah, this is what the prophet said about Israel. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I also caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, that they may be unto me for a people, for a praise, for a name, and for a glory. And God wanted these people, the Israelites, to stand out. They wanted them to stand out remarkably well among society, that uh, the world that was going downhill, downhill. Now, that purpose that Israel was commissioned to and stood for has been commissioned into the hands of the church today. God wants us to win the world. He really does. And I'm so very, very grateful and thankful for everybody here who is trying their best to win somebody to the Lord. Now, I've taught Search for Truth, and I've taught it many, many, many times. Now, I don't know that I've taught it as many times as some of you, but uh, for years I taught Search for Truth. In fact, when we were in Cushing, Texas, uh, before Search for Truth came out, I felt a real burden to teach people the Bible. I thought this was the best way to win people. And so I took the Bible myself and put it in a picture form. Now, I don't know if I still have that or not. But I, I taught it to, first to our church. And the reason why, because we had a lot of new people come in. We started the church from scratch. We didn't have anybody to start with. But... Uh, I had the Bible on a, 
on uh, it was a vinyl cloth, and I had a roller on each end so I could refer back and forth. And it was just a panoramic view of the Bible, starting with Genesis and going to Revelation. It was three feet. The Old Testament, now I forget the length of the New Testament, the Old Testament was three feet wide and 66 feet long. So you can see I had it all and had the red line and the whole works right down the middle like Search for Truth. Now this before Search for Truth came out. Now Search for Truth was not my idea. Please understand, nobody copied from me. But uh, I will say this, through just giving myself to this Bible study, uh, search for Truth, as it, uh, later on as it was developed by Brother Wilhorn. I taught Search for Truth many years before I ever taught it to somebody that I, did not, that I did not personally baptize and see filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was only in recent years that I taught a Bible study where somebody went through it with me and did not receive the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back. It's I have confidence that the Word of God will change people. I've got confidence in it. I believe as much as I believe anything that if you want to be saved and you'll give God a chance, He'll save you. But you see, there are some people that just won't give God a chance. Now, they just plain won't give God a chance. Every time something is said that, that certain people need to hear, they're not around to hear it. Because they do not feel the importance of coming to church. And, of course, in Christian stewardship, we teach... That conversion comes like this. You first have to hear things, gain a knowledge of them, learn them. You commit it to your mind. And after you hear certain things a given length of time, your attitude begins to change. When an attitude change takes place, this is when a person fully repents. And after you have fully repented, then you commit it to your action. You find yourself doing those things. Sometimes people have to hear things over and over and over and over. How many times have you heard certain things that you wish you could obey or do, but somehow you just didn't, you just, you, you just wouldn't do it for some reason? Now, come on, you know I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. There are certain things that... About my personality, I'd like to change. And I've been working on it for 43 years. Or as long as I can remember. And I have not been successful. i, I got to tell you, there are certain things about myself that I dislike so much. Now, so, so when you have complaints against me, please remember, you're not the only one. <laughs> really. Well, you see, what we're doing, we're all working on ourselves. Not only that, we're allowing God's Word to work on us. And we're allowing the Spirit, God Himself, to work on us. God is resident in His Word. And God is inseparable from His Word. You wouldn't know much about me if I couldn't talk. But when I stand here and give a word, whether it be good or bad, it tells you something about me. Because it is a true expression of what I am. And so the Word of God is inseparable from God. And God's reputation is established upon what His Word says. And His personality is defined by His Word. So we teach conversion. 
and that people are in a constant state of converting. Now you may say, well, I was converted to the Lord. Yes, to the Lord. But you see, after conversion means to change. On the new cars, they have a little gadget underneath on the unleaded ones. It's called a catalytic converter. Now, it doesn't mean it converts your car into Cadillac. Please understand that. <laughs> it simply means that it's converting some raw materials that can be very dangerous to your health as they would be ordinarily dispersed out the exhaust pipe. But it converts it and changes it. It goes through some chemicals and changes it. So that when it comes out and you breathe it, it smells rotten, but it doesn't hurt you. See? <clears throat> and so Christians are in a constant state of changing. Why are we changing? All because we're growing. Now, any time you have growth, you have change. Now, that does not mean that your change is weak. It doesn't mean you change the doctrine. It means you become stronger in the doctrine and stronger in the ways of the Lord. Now, I want to become better. I want to become more like God. You see, when the final judgment takes place, the white throne judgment, the Bible says a seal will be placed upon the lives of individuals. The Bible says that some people will be sealed, and the seal that's placed upon them goes like this. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And that simply means that that, that God takes us then, when we are changed from mortal to immortal, uh, while it is true that, that we receive the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ and we appear like Him, it appears to me that what the Bible is really saying is that, that, hey, you know, filthiness will continue in hell. You know, if you don't like fussing and fighting and bickering and complaining and griping and such, you don't want to go to hell. There'll be a whole lot of gripers and complainers down there. You know. If you don't like all the garbage that's going on in the world today, don't end up in the lake of fire because it's going to continue still. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the lewdness and such that you see in our world today, that draws people's attention and draws the wanton eye and the lustful heart. doesn't mean it's going to be of that nature, but it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a holy place. It's going to be a filthy place. But righteousness will continue and holiness will continue in heaven. And we are forever progressing better and better and better and never being God's equal but having His nature at work in us throughout eternity. Now, God had a particular plan and the plan was that, that the nation of Israel was to take care of the strangers, the people who came by that didn't have anything thing to eat. And that's just uh, that's the way God had it. Now, we have already taught you that your first obligation is to God. In the area of giving, you always pay your tithes before you do anything else. Why? Because it's first commanded for you to do that, and tithing is specified that it is one-tenth of your income. Now, we have had people who have been blessed beyond measure simply because that they have honored God. I am really amazed at how many people have been blessed. 
How many of you really can say, I was blessed in 1983 and now in 1984? I can truthfully say that. I hope tonight, and I don't want to take a lot of time tonight. Like I say, we can take another night teaching this. And later on we'll put it in tape. And it'll be a 30-minute lesson in tape. But uh, I wish that I had time to just stand here and just give to you testimonies of what God has personally done for me. He has done a lot. But you see, God wanted the hearts of the Israelites to be mellow. He wanted their hearts to be kind toward each other, kind toward God and kind toward their neighbors. The reason why is because his nature was to be at work in them. And let me just say this, as, as some of you are brand new in the Lord, now all of us are not perfect, and if you happen to get with a person who is not mellow and sensitive to God, without being critical yourself of that individual, you're better to wean yourself away from a person that will create, create in you some adverse nature that's not according to Scripture. Basically, what we do in stewardship, we try our best to establish a general philosophy. And a philosophy is a way of looking at it. You can take two individuals. They're both strong in Acts 2.38. They're both strong in the holiness message. They believe everything that should be believed about the Bible. But their basic attitude relative to their own life, to their church and their fellow man, may be different from the next man. And what we try to do in Christian stewardship is to establish the proper philosophy so that all of you will come under the correct umbrella of God's authority and you will be protected when the days of evil come upon you. And there's a test for everybody. You'll go through some very extreme tests. You can't get out of life without passing the test. See? So every time you're involved in a test, you want to make sure that you pass that test. See, I'm, I believe that God will allow some very adverse things to happen to you to just to see what your reaction will be. See, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down the strongholds of Satan. See? See, how do you act when somebody crosses your path? Do you get so mad you could kick the stars out of heaven? Now, that's not the nature of Jesus. That simply means then that you have to work on yourself. You, 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 sometimes you have to go make amends. You have to apologize. You've got to pray. You've got to repent. You've got to get things right. But if things are always rubbing you the wrong way, you know, you can develop a very critical spirit about individuals and about people. You can do that. You know, I believe that little people, spiritually speaking, and you can evaluate a man's position without becoming judgmental or, or critical for your own sake. See, there are certain things that don't complement, certain people that don't complement each other. Follow what I'm saying? You know, quite often I've had somebody say, I've got a real problem, so I went to a sister because I knew she had the real the same problem, and, and we just thought we had something in common. Did you know, to go to somebody who's got a problem just like yours is not complimentary to you nor to them. Isn't that true? Then why is it not? Why is that, is that true? Because you see, sometimes to go over your negative problem while they're going over theirs, both of you get to feeling sorry for yourself, and you got something going there that you can't put out. 
you see. And, and so the Bible, the book of Proverbs says, you know, if you want to keep a fire going, what do you do? You put wood on it. If you want it to stop, what do you do? Take, take the wood away from it. See. And so, spiritually speaking, here's how you can evaluate yourself, and here's how you can evaluate somebody else. Now, you don't evaluate them from, from the standpoint of trying to be critical, but your soul's at stake. Spiritually speaking, little people talk about people. And that's... So if you're with somebody that spends a good portion of their time talking about somebody else, you're headed for trouble. I'm at real trouble. Big people talk about God. And they talk about the God they see in people. Follow what I'm saying? Now this is so important. So important. Now the reason why I didn't want this tape because I feel that I need to talk to all of you because I know that I've been out of town and I don't like it any more than you like it. But sometimes when the pastor's away, things brew. You know, they people get into little skirmishes and, and such. That's the reason why the church needs a leader. They really need a leader to stay home, too. <laughs> you know? So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. And I say this without any hesitation or without any, any reservation. You see, things get started. Gossip is sharing detrimental information with an individual who is not a part of the problem nor the solution. You know, somebody's telling you something about a brother, and you have no earthly way to solve it, and you're not a part of the problem nor the solution. When you hear it, remember, it should not have been told to you. So don't repeat it. See, spiritually speaking, little people talk about people. Now, I have personally found in my walk with God, through the years that I walked with God... There are certain individuals that I love and I appreciate, but I can't spend a lot of time about them because all they want to do is fill my ears with things that they disagree with. See? Follow what I'm saying? Now, when you really see the philosophy of the Bible through the eyes of Jesus and through his life, you'll find he disagreed with a lot of things, but at the same time he had a forgiving heart. Now, if you want to know if you have a forgiving heart or not, if you forgive a person for something that they do that's wrong, you may say, well, they, they haven't asked for forgiveness. That's totally irrelevant. The people on the cross, the people that stood by the cross rather than saw the man on the cross didn't ask for forgiveness. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus understood to hold a grudge against those people. would not be good for himself, nor them. See, there are, there, are, there are ways in which things can be taken care of, and there are ways in which things are not taken care of. They only gender strife. And See, where there's envy and strife, the Bible says there's every evil work. Isn't that right? Now, putting a lot into this, this is not just my preliminary part. If we don't even get to the giving part, that's fine. I th I, it's it's fine. I refuse myself to hold a grudge. 
Because you see, when I hold a grudge, I don't have any peace in my heart. The joy of my salvation is gone. See? The Bible talks about the countenance that, that does not exemplify the, the, the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. I like to be around people who are happy. People who are vivacious. They, I mean, they enjoy life. They really enjoy life. And so people that want to fill my ears with things, and, and as a pastor, I hear a lot of things. And I don't take everything that's told to me as being gossip because I think, by and large, I am a part of the solution. And because I am a part of the solution, I stand here tonight to try to cure, not hurt. See? But this I have found about an individual who gets in a rut that talks about people all the time. See, now the Bible has a lot to say about gossiping. I mean, a lot. If you don't believe it, you get the Bible. Some of the strongest words in the Bible are against the talebearer. See? So the Bible speaks of the fire. It says, if you don't put wood on the fire, it goes out. And he, he says, well, this is the man who wrote the book of Proverbs, Solomon, said, now this is the way it is for the talebearer, see? If, if there's no talebearer, then, then he said, what happens? He said, then the strife ceases. Isn't that something? Now, that's what he said. You see, God wants us to be principled enough and big enough to talk about himself and the good in people and not the bad in people. And that is something that's so very, very important. Now, I found this to be true. And listen very carefully when I say this. All gossips are liars. Now, that's kind of stark, isn't it? I say all gossips, people who gossip all the time, are liars. Now, you may say, why, Brother Grant? Well, first place, you can't help. You, you, you just can't help but lie when you gossip. For this reason, one, your motive's not right to start with. And you know there's just something about the plain facts that's not exciting enough to the itching ear. You get things started. I have never yet heard things that went through a church what it didn't get stretched out of proportion. People are not really interested in telling the truth as much as they are defacing the reputation of the individual that's told them. That's kind of plain, isn't it? But that's the way it is. So if you hear somebody that talks all the time about people, number one, don't believe half of what they say. Just don't believe it. They probably don't have access to the facts. And if they're picking up all this stuff, they're in too many places anyway. Or they're talking on the phone too much. You know, something's wrong. So, all gossip circles are filled with liars. Now, liars will have their portion in the lake of fire. 
And you may say, Brother Grant, you're so strong about it. Well, just read the Bible, what it says about gospel. I could turn to the book of James and it just almost knock you off the pew. But to save a hard fall, read it after you lie on the bed tonight before you go to sleep. There, you know, there's, there's, there's some heavy stuff there. I meant some real heavy stuff there. So little, spiritually speaking, people talk about people. Now, the reason why that the gossip is a liar is because they're full of bitterness. See, bitterness is, is, is the fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. You see, if you've forgiven somebody and you feel good, why tell it? So bitterness is the first fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. Now, for that reason, I say the gossip is a liar and cannot be saved. Why? Because if you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Boy, that's, that's getting right down to the nitty-gritty. As one man recently said, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where contact is made. But you see, that's Bible. Now, that's really Bible. And you see, we all want to go to heaven, don't we? We all want to go to heaven. We really do. And and so as a result, uh, I say that, that among the house of God, the first thing that you want to do is wipe this out in your concept, uh, in your mind, so that you can live peaceably in the, in the family of God. Now, if this is true, you'll have harmony with God. Read the book of John. You can't, you can't be in discord with your brother. Be in harmony with God. And I know a lot of people say, a lot of people got a lot of qualifying. They say, well, he's not my brother. Well, if he isn't your brother, you're probably coming to the wrong church. Now, that's just plain, simple language. You know, there is a time when you have to give people enough lateral to go to hell if they want to go to hell. And I have, in my time, my tenure as pastor here and also other places, I have been so kind as to tell people the door really opens both ways. It really does. See? And so as a result... What God is trying to say in all of this, there is a way in which I want you to understand me. There is a way in which I want you to have the right attitude. And then, of course, if this is true, your action is going to be right. Now, our brothers and sisters, that's also true. Now, tonight we want to start talking about the outsider. We're talking about the work of God. There's a lot of people that are out in a world of sin. Now, they're out there, by and large, because they don't know any different. Do you know who crucified Jesus? People who were ignorant of who he was. At least that's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. That the, the, the Christ that you ignorantly crucified. In other words, they didn't understand it with Jesus. The Bible also said if, if the men had known it was the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified him. See? But, but because their minds were closed up. Now, what God was saying then in all of this is that... Now, when the, when the stranger comes into your country I want you to live such a life that people will understand 
they'll really understand that that you are my child. Now, he kind of set up what we call a welfare program. Now, when I say the welfare program, the welfare program for the children of God should be in the body of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, when I say welfare program, I'm not talking about the welfare like we have in our present society. you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about that type of welfare. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of people in need. Well, you may not be able to just give them everything they, they, they have need of because maybe your substance is not that great. To lend a helping hand and to show some kind deeds and such to them is a way in which those people can be one to the Lord. Now, this is something I've tried to practice for a good number of years. I've been criticized by a lot of people. I've been sheltered from some of these people by, by quite a few. There are times when I don't have to give. And I will say this, if I don't have to give, most of the time when I tell a person I don't have anything to give you, they get mad at me, which leads consequently to hurting me too. Because, you know, if if I'm honest and and such with the people and they say, oh, I just don't think you want to help me in this, I've probably been ripped off more than anybody around. And a lot of people spend a lot of time guarding themselves because they don't like to get ripped off. Now, I usually leave myself wide open. If they want to rip me off, they can and I trust and pray that before this message is over, that you'll understand why I'm saying it. Now, to the hardworking men of our congregation, I say keep up the good work. And if we have any lazy individual here, please understand, me being your pastor, I will show you your responsibilities to your family, to God, to your brother and such. And there are ways in which I treat my children that I don't treat the stranger. Now, that's pretty hard sometimes for them to understand. Why? Be- well, I'll help them at any time. But I, if I understand that they are just lazy and they're laying around, they're not going to do anything, uh, I will tell them, well, I'll put you to work, son. Or I'll help you out of this crisis, but you're going to you're gonna have to work because I am personally responsible for them. Of course, I've got two sons who are married now. It's a different story altogether, but... I just bought my son Steve a car. It's it's not a he thinks it's a he thinks it's a Cadillac. It's a '77 Volkswagen Rabbit. It's a, and no offense, you know, if you drive a Volkswagen Rabbit, Volkswagen Rabbits are great. But this is an old one. It's got 114,000 miles on it. But you see, I said, now you're going to have to get yourself a job, and I want to hear re- good reports about you working hard. I don't want to hear anybody come by and say you're lazy. You've got, to, you've got to provide the gasoline, the insurance, everything. It's all your responsibility, son. You've got to take care of the repairs so when it gets broken, Dad's not going to do it. See? But I have a lot of people who do come in here and they ask me for money and call me and I give a lot of money away. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not standing up here to pat myself on the back. I'm just, I, I trust that you understand that. And I've been ripped off more probably than any of you because I'm more accessible. You know, they look in the phone book, Calvary Gospel Church, Pastor John W. Grant, 249-0251. And if we have anybody here who'd like to rip me off tonight, (laughs) just see them in the church office. (laughs) 
No, I, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> but you see, this is this is this is what they did. Listen to this, Leviticus nineteen nine. And when you reap the harvest of your land, okay, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Neither shall thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And Brother Merrick did such a remarkable job teaching about the gleanings and the harvest and such. But you see, their uh, their situation was that maybe they had a triangular field like this church building right here. And when they when they began to reap the harvest, the corners they they had to leave. In other words, they just come and put a radius there. And what's in the corner there, they could take. And then what dropped from the baskets and such of the workers in the field, and what was left that they trampled down, they, they couldn't touch that. They absolutely couldn't touch it. Now, that was a law in the Bible. Now, the reason why God didn't want that them to touch it is because, you see, God is the giver of all life. And he wanted a way. Now, God can feed anybody any way he wants to. He fed Elijah by a raven. Well, I don't know if I'd like to be fed by a raven. A raven's really a vulture. But evidently, Elijah was thankful. That's better than starving, I suppose. But he's got many, many ways in which he can feed people. He fed Israel just from manna that fell out of heaven. See? Now, he could have, he could have rained manna. He really could have on all the people that were starving to death. But you see... Because that Israel was associated with Jehovah, he wanted people to come by their way, work in their fields and see their nature. Why? Because, you see, they were obeying the commandments of the Lord, and by and large, God's nature was in them, and it worked in them. So, we have stories in the Bible like Ruth, who came... She was a Moabite who came back with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and it was in the, one of these fields that she was gleaning in which Boaz saw her and married her, and she today is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. See? It was through kindness of some spies that, that Rahab was won to the Lord. And Rahab, who was a harlot, is also in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see how people were proselyted. Now, the, the Jews never had a plan in which they just rushed out into the world and tried to evangelize it. They didn't. But you will find on the day of Pentecost, you know, we talk about the 400 silent years. I can assure you, while there's no books written between Malachi and Matthew, those 400 silent years were not just spent there idly by the Jews twisting their thumbs together wondering when some prophet would speak to them. And for this reason, they built synagogues in a lot of the known world. And they were promoting what they really did believe in. And while we say, oh, they were without a prophet and it was silent... Please understand, we just draw that conclusion simply because that there's no books written from Malachi to Matthew. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Bible says there were strangers from Rome there. There were people from all over the world there. What were they doing there? How did they get there? 
You see, God wanted Israel strategically located. It was really the gateway to the world. To go from one continent to the other, people had to pass through Israel. Well, there were a lot of people just passing by, and friend, they were hungry, and they ran out of food, and they didn't have money or anything, and they could go into their fields and glean. Now, because everything really belongs to God, it, you know, it's, it's God's, and because, you know, uh, I surrendered all to God, uh, you know, if God says He's going he's to take care of me and He'll supply my need according to His riches and glory, and He says that He owns everything, you see, really whatever I do that fits the Bible will not hurt me, it will help me. I believe that. And I believe that anybody who says otherwise does not know what the Bible teaches. Now, the whole point of this was that they could come in there then and they could really see God at work in the lives of these Israelites. Now, if you will notice in verse 18 of, of Matthew 19, Thou shalt not avenge, neither, neither nor bear any grudge against the children. Of thy people. So, what does it mean when it says, Thou shalt not avenge? It means if somebody's done you wrong, do you have a right to assassinate their character and talk about them? The Bible says you don't. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You know, and if, if some people who's always spreading tales and such, if they were so spiritual, they would learn to lean upon the Lord and let the Lord take care of things. But it denotes a lack of faith in God when they try to handle it. Am I right or am I wrong? Hello? Are you all still out there? I just didn't hear anybody respond. Isn't that true? You know, I have people that want me to pounce on everything. I don't pounce on everything. Why? Well, I may be the pastor, but I don't just straighten people out on everything. You know, I still got a lot of things I'm trying to straighten myself out on. I, sometimes I feel guilty trying to straighten people out on every little thing when I have problems myself. Now, you may say, oh, that shows weakness, Brother Grant. Well, you show me one person that doesn't have problems. Now, you may say, oh, well, this man says he doesn't. Well, I know better. You do, too. See? Okay, so thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So when God establishes identity once again to them, what does he do? He doesn't do anything but say, now this is the way that I want it done. And so here is positive proof that you're really concerned, that you love your neighbor. Now Jesus gave a parable about who your neighbor is. Who is your neighbor? You have any idea? Is it the man that lives next door to you? He gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? And he talked about the two people who went by, the priest and the Levite, with their nose turned up, crossed across the street, went down a block, and went back, and went back down to where they were going. Here comes the Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were individuals who were hated, hated by the Jews. Were they not? Sure. Why did, why did Jesus say this when he gave when he gave the Great Commission, as recorded in the book of Acts? Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea 
and in Samaria. Now, Samaria happened to be a part of Judea. But why do you think Jesus pointed out, and in Samaria? Because for the most part, the Israelites did not like the Samaritans. Isn't that what Jesus said when he talked to the woman at the well? And she said, why is it you, being a Jew, speaking to me, especially a woman and a Samaritan? Isn't that against your custom? Isn't there something different about you? Now, you see, that's the nature of Jesus. Now, you see, all of us need to be acquainted with people who are not saved. And we need to minister to people who are not saved. And we need to find opportunity and ways to minister to people who are not saved. Just turn to John 4 where this is recorded. When Jesus went by Samaria. Now notice chapter 4, how it starts. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, I don't know what you get out of this, but you see, what I get out of this is is that the Bible doesn't say that there's a woman over there that needs Jesus to go through Samaria. That's not what it says. And I think the language of the Bible is purposely written as it is, in, in so many, many cases, so that so that we're not confused. The Bible doesn't say, hey, there's a woman over there that, that has a bad reputation because her moral character is rotten to the core that needs Jesus to come by. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says Jesus needs to go to Samaria. And you see, every one of us needs somebody to minister to. For their sake, not only for their sake, for our sake. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said that we should preach the word of God. We should be instant in season, out of season. Now he went on to say this. He said, now what do you do when you preach the word of God? He said, in saving them, you save yourself. And see, I'm convinced, unless you have in your own mind a program that you're working on in which you can reach the lost, you cannot be saved. Because, you see, the Son of Man came not but to seek and save that which was lost. That was the reason why Jesus came in the world. Now, if we're disciples, we're going to spend a lot of His. We're going to spend a lot of time with God. Did Jesus spend a lot of time with the Father? Yes, He did. Did He spend a lot of time with His disciples, rubbing shoulders with them, His brother? Yes, He did. But he also spent a lot of time with people who were not in that inner circle. Do we need to spend a lot of time with God? Yes, we do. Do we need to minister to each other? Yes, we do. But do we need to minister to the lost? Yes, we do. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. You see? 
And so Jesus pointed out in the Great Commission, preach the gospel in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. So what he was doing, he's kind of offering double coverage for Samaria. He pointed it out while it was a part of Judea. He pointed it out especially in Samaria. Why? Because it was going to really hurt some of those people that heard him to go to Samaria. But you will find this. When the gospel was first preached in Jerusalem, before it went to the pure Gentile nations through Cornelius, it was first preached in Samaria. God laid it on Philip's heart to go there in Acts the 8th chapter to preach a revival. See, and when Jesus gave the parable of the Samaritan, I don't think Jesus just picked somebody. Why, well, he could have picked an Ethiopian. He could have picked someone from Egypt. He could have picked someone from Syria. But he purposely spoke of a Samaritan. And I believe that Jesus had a reason for that. Why? Because by and large, they hated Samaritans. And Jesus then, after he told about what the Samaritan did, he said, Who then is thy neighbor? And if you want to be neighborly to people, you're going to help somebody who is in need. Now, this is what the Word of the Lord teaches. Now, let's go to the book of Proverbs. My time is quickly getting away from me here. Now, first we're talking about knowledge. We may just have to chop it off in the middle of the message and pick it up. Sunday night, who knows? Who's preaching Sunday night? Just going to kind of peep in here. Looks like a man by the name of Grant. <laughs> I'm preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. So maybe if we don't get it, we'll finish it Sunday night. Now notice what the book of Proverbs says. In Proverbs 19, 17. Okay. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Now, I need a rich man and I need a poor man. <laughs> I'm just going to pick out some people here. Not necessarily who's got the most money, because I don't really know. So, Brother Gminder, you look real rich tonight. Just come stand up here, okay? <laughs> now, I need some poor guy here. Brother Sonny, you look real poor, you know. Okay? Now... Brother Gaminder is a rich man. And Brother Sonny is a poor man. Now, Brother Sonny approaches him. Now, the Bible says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord. Now, what, what the deal is then, I'm going to say I'm the Lord here, okay? Now, I, I better get somebody else to be the Lord. Brother Chuck, come up here and be the Lord. Come on up here, okay? Okay, Brother Larson, come up here and be the Lord. Brother Chuck doesn't. He just come stand over here. Okay, now I got a I got uh, I got a little money in my wallet here. I got a five. Okay, 
see. Now, Brother Gamon is a rich man. The Bible says he that hath pity upon the poor does what? He actually does what? He's really lending it to the Lord. <laughs> gets the gain in all this anyway. He gained while he may have received it actually. He actually gained. And you see, this whole system was so that God would gain. Now, while they're still up here, we want you then to turn to the 22nd chapter. Now, what does this spot, what does this scripture say? Did I get, give you which one it was? Uh, Proverbs 22, 7. The Bible says the rich ruleth over the poor. Is that what it says? This is the reason why I try my best to teach in Christian stewardship as fast as you can get out of debt, get out of debt. Don't live on borrowed money. Now, if you are in debt now, I'm not here to criticize you. I'm not here to put you down. I'm just trying to say, try your best to exercise good Christian stewardship and get out of debt and stay out of debt if you can. America's the only nation I know of in which you can borrow more money than you pay back. And you get under financial pressure, friend. You're under pressure. You ever had bill collectors knock on your door or call? Listen, there is nothing in the world more heartbreaking than to have somebody knock on your door. You may say, how do you know? Because I've had that happen to me. In my early years living for God, I don't know why. I just thought that Christians would, man, Christians deserve the best and they, they have a right to the best and I just borrowed so much money and everything and I was so deep in debt and wow. Well, I do believe God wants to bless us. I think through a change of attitude of my own and practicing good stewardship, I really thank the Lord that I got out of that. I owe very, very few bills. And buy most everything that I buy by cash. You may say, how can you afford it? Well, really it's cheaper for me than it is you when you borrow the money. Because you end up paying all of that interest. You actually pay much more than I pay. What's the difference, Brother Grant? Well... Some people can discipline themselves to do it, and some can't. If you set aside every week what you pay on certain bills, you'll find out that by going in with cash, you can get it cheaper, and you don't have all this pressure, and you get everything just as fast anyway, and you don't create a syndrome for your life that you can't get out of. Okay, now, this man, no, 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 don't leave. This man rules over this man. Why? He loaned him something. However, 
if he's having pity over the poor, the Bible says the thing, the case is this. When you have pity on the poor, you're really lending to the Lord. Now what he did, he gave it to him. Now when he gave it to him, that freed him then. So the first part of this scripture does not apply in Proverbs 22, 7. The first part. Why? Because you see, he didn't borrow it. He gave it. So he's free. You can go sit down. Now. But he didn't give it to them. He loaned it. Now. If he loaned it. Did I get turned off? If he loaned it to him, then what happens? What does the Bible say? Look at this. The borrower is servant to the lender. Now who's the borrower? The Lord. This is the only place in the scripture that I know of in which the Bible, the word of God... God himself purposely chooses to subject himself to an individual for anything. Now you know the reason why you can't outgive God? Do you know the reason why the Bible says, Given it shall be given unto you? You see, God's word says, Oh, no man, anything, nothing. Now, he had pity. It was lending to the Lord. The Lord pays his debts because he tells you, you've got to do it. And until such a time that's repaid to you, there is a very difficult and precarious situation in which God has put himself. This is the reason why that we use phrases like this. You can't outgive God. And in order to get blessing, sometimes you've got to be a blessing. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Jim. <laughs> the way he took it, I I was really wondering. <laughs> I left myself open, though. I said, if anybody wants to rip me off, you know, he had a good chance. He had it in his hand, didn't he? <laughs> now, now, isn't this something, the way this works? But now, that's what the Bible really says. That is the Word of God. Praise God. Our time is up. I've been going for a while, so we're just going to leave you hanging. Don't you like to be left hanging like this? Is it hot in here to you? hot to me when you are when you're two feet up higher it's hot it really is it's hotter on this platform it sure is see some of you short ladies going around here going on like this all the time it's so cold in here you look around and see brother james fanning now you know why <laughs> praise god isn't the lord good though Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, shaken down, pressed together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? Now please understand this, and I've taught this already in Christian stewardship. You know, in Matthew, not Matthew, 
But in the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, when Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son, really what he was saying is, now you can have back what you gave to God anytime you want it. But remember, when, when you ask for it back, to manage separate and apart from the principle of the Lord, you're asking for trouble. You're really asking for trouble. Now we're just going to pick up probably Sunday night and go on this again. I do not want it taped at this time. But we're going to cover it. We're going to cover it thoroughly because I really do feel, I really do feel that to many of you who are teaching search for truth and such, and you just need to hear it again. Now, Brother Merrick taught so beautifully on this. Of course, I've been teaching this very same thing this same way in Christian stewardship now for a long, long time. But we've got to hear things a good number of times before it gets ingrained in us and actually changes us. Praise God. God, give us a heart of love. God, help us to love people. You know, we really need that. I mean, we really do need that. Praise God. Would you stand with me right now? Let's just lift our hands now and worship the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For God, and you all blessings flow. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad you can serve God with a pure heart, with a pure conscience? Praise God. It's just so good to be able to stand before men and God with, with your conscience clear and say, I just love everybody. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. Praise God. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Just keep clapping your hands. Praise God. Now clap them to my beat, would you? Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. I love that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the prophet Daniel. It was good for the prophet Daniel. It was good for the prophet Daniel. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It will do when I am dying. It will do I am dying. It will do when I am dying. It's good enough for me. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. I like this verse. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all 
to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Do you know Jesus made it possible? Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it some for a I want you to hum that, would you? So I'll cheer. Just go ahead and hum it. Close your eyes, would you? I feel that somebody would like to come and recommit their life to the Lord tonight. You know, Jesus made all of this possible. We are what we are by the grace of God. We're not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lonely, lonely figure peers through the misty gray of the centuries past the lifeless body of Jesus Christ has just been pierced and from his side flows blood and water that's the substance friend that saved me and you know his outstretched hands which bear the nail prints And the hole in his side bear witness that Jesus loves you. If you'd like to come and pray tonight, maybe you've never had a real life that's been committed to him. There's no better chance, there's no better opportunity, there's no better time than tonight. Who knows what circumstance will change your life. Maybe something tomorrow could happen. But this is one thing for sure. If you have made peace with God through repentance and baptism tonight and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, tomorrow will be all right if you're in His presence. Would somebody like to come along with this sister who's kneeling and pray? Would you like to just step out? Throughout our building, we have Christian workers who'd be glad to step out with you and come and pray with you. Come on right now.
We're lingering, yes. We're begging, yes. We're doing it simply because we want you to be saved. God bless this father who comes with his son. Somebody else want to come? God bless Anthony as he comes down here. God bless Heidi and Sister Hughes is coming with her. Come on, somebody else step out, would you? Oh, hallelujah. Don't you feel the presence of the Lord here tonight? I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Sing it with me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah I will cling to the old rugged Cross. There's still room right down here in front. And exchange it someday for a crown. Now we'd like for everybody, if they would, to find a place to kneel and pray. God bless you so much for coming and being with us. If you're a guest of ours, remember our service Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Sunday evening at 7. After you've prayed, you may consider yourself dismissed. It's been a real joy, though, to have you with us.